Teleplay Writer's Log. Stardate sometime... Sometime. I just talked to my four-year-old about patients' rights and euthanasia and suicide and injury and ableism and cultural differences and a hypothetical universe where as far as character representation has gone so far, there is no disability. But what if there was a sudden disability in our alien race that is only there in the first place as a straw man toxic masculinity argument? What if we also had to pretend to give that fake straw man society equal consideration in our medical ethics and individual interpretation interactions? Oh, this will be a barn. Burner, thank God we only have 38 minutes with which to discuss it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Reengage, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast, where apparently this week one very tired Gen X performer has to host a discussion with his incredible peers and fellow bridge officers, where they discuss whether to compromise one's medical ethics or one's interpersonal ethics when a friend wants to kill himself rather than go through life in a Charles Xavier floating wheelchair or laser canes without pain, loss of mobility or decrease in ability to do one's job, communicate with one's co-workers or loved ones. Lots of reasonable discussion in this one, so let's get to it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We find ourselves discussing the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is the 16th episode in the fifth season, and we will call it Ethics. It was, of course, aired originally on March 2nd, 1992. I want to go around the horn welcoming my fellow bridge officers to this one. Jimmy G, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing okay. I have to tell you that in my culture, if the podcast sucks, uh, I have to commit Harry Carey. And I hope that, uh, Kate, you will help me with that. <laughs> oh, Kate, what do you say? Well, a couple of mixed, uh, <laughs> mixed issues happening right there with Jimmy's invitation. Uh, well, first of all, that just feels like a lot of pressure to put on this episode. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, yeah, I'm the host. I'm not looking forward to watching you kill Jimmy. <laughs> Greg, what's up with you today? Welcome to Ethics 101. Everything about this podcast so far has been 100% ethical. And that's my professional Ooh. experience and opinion. I like that. Well, thank you. I've been trying really hard. <laughs> so we're here. We're talking about it. It's 1992. I guess we'll go right back around the horn and talk about what was happening in our individual areas of expertise. Greg Tito, tell me what was happening in the world. Well, the 1992 presidential election is heating up. Uh, it is a Republican primary season. Uh, George H.W. Bush, W. Bush's dad. Uh, former vice president, now president uh, for one term, is seeking his second term. But there's a, uh, a Pat Buchanan breathing down his neck. And yesterday, or the day before this aired, a article was published in which Bush said it was a mistake to say the very famous line in his 88 election, read my lips, no new taxes, because two years later, there was new taxes, and so he's basically trying to apologize his way out of this to the Republican base. And uh, I remember this specifically being like, you know, that soundbite, read my lips, no new taxes, was everywhere. It's in Loser by Beck. Uh, uh, you know, he's a driver. He's a winner. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, this was the beginning of, of his uh, demise as a viable political candidate, which Clinton comes in and wins the 92 election. But I thought that was a notable Thing to note with notes and notings. Um, Yay. Also, a referendum was held in Yugoslavia. Uh, the Bosnians 
uh, elected to declare independence uh, from their Serbian uh uh, fellow citizens in Yugoslavia and the Bosnia and Herzegovina was declared. And a few um, a week after this was recognized by the UN as an independent state. And it began the uh, wars that would uh, occur in that region in which uh, Clinton, I, I think, famously had to do some terrible things. And uh, that's my only sad thing for this update. Lift us up, Kate. <laughs> All right. It's the only sad thing, but it's also the only thing, more or less. A good old uh, raise new taxes fuckhead and uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. Thank you for the correct pronunciation. Go ahead, Kate. Lift us into song. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything is a bunch of repeats, uh, including Wayne's World in the movies. Ooh. But the number one song is brand new. And it's, I'm the one who wants to be with you. Yeah. Deep inside, I hope you feel it too. Feel it too. <laughs> you can't not do the call and response. Is that Mr. Big? Mr. Big. It's Mr. Big, indeed. Fantastic job. Wow. That song brought big feels back to me. I'm glad it brought big feels back to you. Because that's all <laughs> I've got for pop culture. So, uh <laughs> Well, how could anything compete with the famous Mr. Big, who I saw open for Rush? Oh. And let me tell you, the 40,000 people gathered in that stadium did not particularly want to see Mr. Big. <laughs> <laughs> that song started and everybody kind of went, oh, okay, I, I've heard this song on the radio. <laughs> and then uh, when he got to the end and could not hit that note, <gasps> I have never heard 40,000 people all laugh in unison. Very, very mean to this young man. I feel so bad for Mr. Big. Who I can only assume (laughs) went backstage and got so drunk. But I don't know. That's rough. That song is still on my warm-up list uh, every every uh, time I have to sing because it's goofy, and I love it. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> Jimmy G, we're going to dive into this episode now, and uh, I'm going to see what you brought to what was happening backstage in what I can only imagine was a shit show, even though everyone but me apparently loves it. We'll get into that. Go ahead. Nothing I came across suggested that it was God a damn it. shit show behind uh, the scenes, but there were some cool things happening. A lot yeah. of continuity stuff. We see the red surgical outfits return. Um, we saw those in the Samaritan Snare. That's when Picard had his uh, heart surgery. We also learned in this episode about uh, the Klingons' redundancies, all the redundancies that they have in their body. Uh, we get to see Worf's back, uh, although Michael Dorn did not have to sit through those scenes. It was his photo double, Al Foster. And I'd love to know how many of the rest of the crew also have photo doubles (laughs) for our continuity fans. We see a return of the motor assist bands Mm. and the drugs, enoprovoline, which we saw in Transfigurations, and Cordrazine, which we first saw in Shades of Grey. So the pharmaceuticals are happy that those drugs... uh, made a reappearance <laughs> we also learned that the ship that dr russell's ferried over in the potankin this was a ship that um Riker served on before the enterprise one of them not immediately before um and this was mentioned in peak performance I and mean, there's also some allusion to it in the kobayashi scene in star trek 2 uh, the potankin that is and that 
is all we have from the Nemesic file. Well, I love it. It's a ton of shit. It gives us now a direct line into what I found to be my third least favorite episode that we've discussed so far. I want to kind of go around the horn a little bit here. And like, did, did, what were your thoughts of it? Were any of you struck as filled with hate the way I was? Cause I read about it and apparently people love this episode and I get and agree with the idea that representation matters. And it's nice to have what I believe is our first talk about, uh, um, severe injury and disability of the physical kind throughout, uh, the series other than just having like wharf kind of frown at uh, people who aren't walking and doing calisthenics actively. I have no problem with them doing it. It's just how poorly and clumsily they did it. Just hit me so hard from the very beginning. Where were all of you just thought it was kind of a normal thing or am I uh, kind of correct in thinking that this was a, a, a miss as an episode overall? Who wants to jump in here? Should we start with giving our our final thoughts? <laughs> right. So final thoughts, round the horn. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> no, no, I just, just kind of like, if, if it's just me that hated this episode, I, I'll just keep my snarkiness to it. But if we all kind of had issues with it, I'll talk less about the plot of which there isn't any, and we can talk more about kind of how it was handled. Uh, mm. What do you guys think? I think it's I think ahead, it's Kate. clunky, but I don't ha hate it with the burning passion of a thousand suns like you seem to. <laughs> I, I do. For I do. me, it was interesting in that it's the first time I think I ever in my young life would have heard the idea of assisted suicide as a, a positive thing. At being right. well but but being like a, a a choice that gets made yes no definitely and that there's no 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 yes you're uh, my turn uh so i just yeah. think that it was there are many problems i have structurally especially with the way they framed the other doctor because they're they set her up uh to be a villain in a way that didn't aid in the telling of this this, this story but i don't hate it the way you seem to and it is worth pointing out that this is in the middle of the dr kevorkian yes uh, for sure uh, debate which at the time was raging over uh nightly news and uh, uh in congress and all of the right wingers uh got, got to be as angry as they wanted yes to be, and uh, this was nightly yeah this was just more gentle than that certainly and i agree and I think if we were talking about an illness uh, that was at all comparable to what Dr. Kevorkian dealt with, I, I would have a lot less issue with with the, the, the facts of this story. Uh, but it was just how it was told that, that really gets to me. Because, you know, they had solutions. <laughs> and they're like, kill me! And half the cast immediately went, yes, we should kill him. Because that is what he likes, rather than... Only one, uh, but... We'll get, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> only Picard is like that, yeah. Picard's the only one who was, like, fully on yeah. board. Let's, let's destroy him immediately. I agree with Kate. I'm pretty much like, hey, it could have been handled better, but I don't hate it. I think it dealt right. with the issues as best I'll it I'll do my could. best 
to change your mind. And I, I look forward to that. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> when I did the research on this, everybody loves it but me in terms of the uh, reviews on it. So I'm perfectly happy uh, to be in the minority with this. The episode starts with Jordy and Worf counting barrels and looking for a, a chloride leak because you need your chief of security uh, on such a dangerous mission. Uh, but mostly they're just hanging out on duty and discussing their card game. Jordy uh, yeah. confesses to to peeking at the cards Jeez. after every uh, <laughs> hand, which will get you, uh, it'll get your back broken in a lot of uh, card <laughs> games that I've been to. <laughs> and honestly, if you choose to play cards with Troy and Jordy, you are really a bad card player. Uh, right off the bat. These are the two you don't play with. Go ahead, Greg. I feel like this must have been a nod to the fandom complaining about things we've complained about in the poker game where, right, Jordy can see through the cards, Troy knows everyone's uh, intuitions and therefore has an advantage. And so it must have been a direct nod to that. They explain Jordy's thing where like some cards have a resistance to infrared. Non-transparent cards. Yeah. They, they, and they only really explained the Troy thing by saying uh, she's really bad at bluffing. Uh, usually, so <laughs> but, you know, it actually is not as much of an advantage as you thought. Did Kate? Did you just get attacked? My cat just bit me because he wants to be on my lap. Son of a bee! Aww. But yeah, no. I, I it, did. You guys get that sense too that like this, these lines were inserted mostly as a as a way to combat the conversation amongst fans i did not and that's interesting i think that's probably closer to the truth i thought this was the first nod at ethics like oh. right, right. beating our head over is like oh maybe that's cheating this is an ethical question of whether uh or not somebody who can see through the card should even be playing the game that's smart too and the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> but don't yeah. just trust me or maybe jordy should bring the non-transparent cards like hey i can see through everything else yes. but not these so yeah. oh this level is a bleed jimmy <laughs> jimmy throwing an ethics solution right on the table just to start <laughs> apparently there is some leakage happening uh the moment jordy turns his back wharf is attacked by two blue barrels from the top <laughs> shelf which are completely untethered and wobbly this i don't know if this uh, to me, this looked like a bad special effect. I couldn't tell it. The way the the barrel moved seemed like somebody was pushing it. Yes, I. So immediately, I was like, "Oh, there! That's why Worf's there. There's a maybe. There's a danger a of somebody being, yeah, saboteur, right? Sabotage. <laughs> uh, but it was a bad effect, right? Like it was weird the way that thing fell over. Well, yeah, I to me because of the way it was sort of. Uh, crusty over with ice on I sort of saw it as a soda can that gets shooken up too much and just kind of <laughs> pops off and falls down and smush. I would have liked that better. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I went with it too. Whatever this uh, uh leaking um uh what did they call it again? Uh, who cares? The 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 leaking shit froze the outside and and uh, changed the shape of it. It looked to me like I think it was carbonite. carbonite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it looked to me like it it just like made one of the barrels eventually bend and the other one <laughs> fell over on it. Yeah. Like okay, yeah, it we like just it needed Worf to be under a barrel. All right. So Worf was under a barrel. Wouldn't you wouldn't you try to get out of the way if you see something coming down rather than hunkering over and exposing yourself to it. It takes as much time and energy to do that as it would be to jump out of the way. Not if you have uh, multiple redundancies. Ah, so it's an... It's and jumping out of the way 
makes you a wuss. Yeah, that's against his <laughs> honor. He would be a coward. If he, he would have to kill himself. He has being to a stand. He has to stand and face <laughs> his barrel. Fuck gravity. Or he doesn't deserve to live. Yeah. Um, so we we switch to the medical bay where Worf is laid out on his table. Uh, he tries to get up to leave and says, Doctor, very funny. I promise I won't try to escape. Please. The force field around me is not necessary. Restraining field. Yes, the restraining field is not necessary. Oh, you don't have one, silly. Oh, no. You're paralyzed. Worf cannot move from apparently somewhere above the waist down. I did have this moment immediately where I was like, they have brought people back from the dead <laughs> multiple times. And we learned with Tasha that she was like extra super dead. That's why they couldn't do it, mm-hmm. but only because she was like level 12 dead. So he must <laughs> right. be like level 12 hurt, right? Because. Yeah. Yeah. Dead, de- level 12 dead from the tits down. Wharf, um, <laughs> wharf, wharf. I'm so sorry. He has broken seven vertebra and has no mobility beyond the chest slash upper back. This is problem. This is big problem. What's going to happen? We know that uh, from from earlier uh, episodes that Worf has something of a thing about being the most physically capable person to ever be thrown over a workstation. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we have Dr. Russell showing up. Uh, who immediately butters up Beverly and is surprised that there isn't any neurological research in Klingon medicine. We did not know that Beverly was publishing papers on surgery techniques uh, that were uh, raising the eyebrows of all of the medical uh, faculty throughout the um, Starfleet, but I am glad to hear it. Well done, Dr. Beverly. That's what she was doing on her Um, sabbatical that that year. Yes. (laughs) Of course, Jimmy G. Uh, another odd directing choice. Uh, Beverly grabs Doctor uh, Russell by the elbow, and it's almost like she's trying to usher her out of of um, the transporter room. But it was totally mm-hmm. unnecessary because the next scene is them strolling. So it could have just mm-hmm. been that whole thing could have been strolling along, and it just gave me an impression of, "Come on, we got to get out of here." Uh, which would have been fine <laughs> if it weren't for the dialogue right before there. You know, like it could have been, we need to get to sickbay to see my patient. This is a big deal. We don't have time for this. But it didn't come across that way. It was more like, oh, nobody's read that. Ha, ha, ha. You know, false modesty. Right. Um, and that could have just I all think been it a stroll. Been, I think it would have been fixed if they'd left in the very awkward moment before she transported over where um, O'Brien farted really loud. <laughs> <laughs> And that's honestly the reason she was feeling the need to get See, out. See, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this was a good setup because we didn't know where Eric was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got a nice little punchline there. Well done. But O'Brien did Didn't not we? admit it. And is that ethical? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where they got the title. <laughs> that's it. So Beverly says that, of course, Klingons would usually just kill him. You'll like Worf, Beverly says. And Dr. Russell says, excuse me. I don't think I need to be getting to know this guy. Uh, in case I kill him, I'd rather not get to know him very well. And yeah. we're all just like, yeah, that makes sense. Bedside manner is not her, uh, her her forte. It's not her shtick. By the way, this actor is a fantastic actor mm-hmm. named Caroline Kava. She is mostly a stage performer and playwright, but she has made a second career in TV, movies, and supporting roles in fun stuff like Born on the Fourth of July and Little Nikita. You know, comedies. Most recently, 
She played Aunt Eller in a TV version of Oklahoma in 2011. And just a few years ago, she adapted Hedda Gobbler to English for a new production on stage in Philly. Of note is her role as Polly in the Joe Pat production of Three Penny in 1977 with one Raul Julia, mm. the greatest actor in history as Mac. Here she plays an insane and overambitious research scientist and surgeon that would like to experiment on disabled people as much as possible, please. It's her fetish. <laughs> I was just going to say that uh, because I didn't remember this episode this whole season, right? I don't know. I must have been in a play or something after school right. during this season. <laughs> sure. But I read that I'd like to keep professional distance to me as I don't want to give him hope that he doesn't need because he's my friend, right? Like yeah. that was an interesting, that, that was my take on it. Like that gave her a little bit more freedom, uh, a little bit more... Um, good tidings uh, that I thought about her yes. then later. Fair. I had remembered where she was going with this, so I felt really no need to give her any benefit of the doubt <laughs> right from the top. I'm like, you're fucking Mengala. Fuck you. <laughs> you Tuskegee asshole. As they're talking and walking, uh, we, we do find... Um, uh, that we're going to move to Riker instead. Riker visits his buddy who is still laid out and says, uh, it's fine to be injured. And Worf jumps right in uh, and says, I am not injured. The doctor says that this paralysis may be dot, dot, dot permanent. And at this point he says, you got to do the heck bah with me. Come on, dude. And apparently the heck bah is when you hand the guy's knife to him, he kills himself. You pull the knife out, wipe it on your sleeve and think good thoughts of your dead wussy friend. We find that out later, but it's worth talking about since we have just asked Commander Riker to perform it as my friend. First of all, did you guys get the feeling that Commander Riker was Worf's best friend? Because I did not. I would have thought Jordy. I would have thought, Data. honestly, Captain Picard, Data, before Riker. But, um, oh, I because did. Because Captain Picard has helped him in other situations exactly like this. Go ahead, Greg. I thought, I do. I mean, this may be from like season one, two. They certainly wrote them as being more comrades in arms in the earlier seasons it has not been played as much in uh seasons three and four as, as you said um i think picard would be too much of his superior officer like asking his captain to do it rather than someone who he thinks of as more of a peer even though you know commander Riker is his superior as well so yeah no i i thought of them as him as, as, as the right choice. He doesn't seem to have as much of a bond with Jordy or even Data uh, or and, and, and Troy. Maybe he should have asked Troy <laughs> since that, they seem to have a growing relationship now too. But no, that made sense to me. And I really liked right. Jonathan Frake's performance in this because uh, it's clear he did not know that this was permanent. He thought it was just injured, like like his broken arm in the in, in the, uh, another episode. Like, oh, you're just going to get fixed up. It's time for me to do my 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 schmacky, like, oh, I like you so much, uh, you know, ribbing type of thing that Riker usually does. And you see it in his eyes uh, with that close up shot of Riker being like, oh, shit, this is this is a much bigger deal than I thought it was. And I don't know. I was not emotionally prepared to deal with it. You could tell. <laughs> I didn't take it as uh, Worf was asking him because of any kind of bond of friendship. It was more of you're the guy who would do it. Like we share a likeness in in that philosophy that's what i took it as and mm. nothing other than that but i have to disagree with greg 100 about uh frake's performance mm. i didn't like his choices 
Um, I thought they were over the top and they started at a 10 and left him nowhere to go. And there was too much scene for him to start at the very top. So then all we saw was yelling the whole time. And uh, I didn't enjoy that from him. I like you. I'm going to, I'm going to go in the middle, in the middle between you two (laughs) and say that I too, like Greg was touched by that initial, like, Oh shit. I didn't know. Right. Cause I'm that asshole friend who comes in and is like, Hey fucker, what are you doing? You fake get up. Right. And then it's like, Oh shit. (laughs) So I thought that part was, uh, was lovely. And then it led to nothing but yelling. So I think Jimmy is also correct. Therefore, I am the most correct. On the fence. And, <laughs> and, and this scene is where it starts to get me as, as just bad writing. Because I feel like you've never watched Star Trek. Because we've seen infirm Klingons. And we've seen old Klingons. And we've seen people who can't hold a sword anymore. And we've seen them hold high positions of respect within the Klingon mm. uh, society. And we've seen Worf learn to respect them after he initially doesn't. So many of these things have already been argued in Star Trek by these same characters. And it drives me crazy that we go immediately to this and no one moves for 35 minutes until they have to, and then they suddenly move. In this particular one, I think it's super awkward that the first thing we see is that he's not quadriplegic, he's paraplegic, at a time when certainly the let's call it wheelchair uh, technology is far beyond what it could possibly have been now uh, or the other technologies that might be used. We've even, as Jimmy says, already seen those little discs that, that help you move um, when your spine is no longer completely connected to those areas. But it's only 60% of his mobility. I know. Maybe. Right? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they make sure they scream that at us. Maybe. They make sure they, they, that they scream 60 to 70. Oh, that's <laughs> true. But, uh, Could be but the as they end. go, we'll, we'll get there. It's going to be 69%. We, we now go to Dr. Russell and Dr. Crusher discussing Klingon anatomy. Klingon anatomy. Russell says that Klingon anatomy is over-designed, <laughs> she says. Every system has a redundancy, but so much more can go wrong is what that possibly leads to. I think she means every system except the neurological spinal cord, <laughs> which has nothing uh, approaching a redundancy, luckily for us. She has her overhead re- uh, projector that she brings Beverly over to. Uh, we're really loving that particular <laughs> shape of technology the last several episodes. This thing grows replacement nerves and stuff. Early, early results are encouraging. And, uh, you know, hey, I, I was thinking maybe uh, I can use this on board. When did she bring this on board? That's what I don't know. Like she, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, she's like, "Oh, by the way, I've got all my equipment here. It's a, a repurposed overhead projector." Oh, it's not. By the way, she mentions it in the first scene. She's like, "Can you uh, have my equipment brought over?" Uh, oh, sent I missed over. that. So it's there's a reason for it to okay. be. Okay, all right, fine. The Oompa Loompas took care of that in between <laughs> the other scenes. <laughs> I love you, Grant. <laughs> She says, we could use this on Worf. And uh, Beverly says, well, I didn't know you were using this on humanoids. She says, no, 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 I haven't done that. (laughs) Nope. Uh, But we could do this first. And simulations are up to 30% successful. And Beverly's like, well, that means it'll probably kill him, though, right? So let's skip it. I mean, this is the the crux of the problem, right? Is that the way that this doctor (laughs) is presented is that she's she's psychotic right like she's so like yes and and obviously specious like specious to like she doesn't you know like Worf I think because of who Worf is not because 
She doesn't know. I'm like, so it's it's hard because this is an intriguing argument. I actually really think this is an intriguing argument about the ethics of of assisted suicide. But it's put under the guise of this woman who clearly has issues and is writing checks that her overhead projector can't cash. Yes, that's another one of my that's another one of my frustrations with this is they didn't pick one thing. Right. They've picked medical ethics for surgery and drug uh, trials to put on top of the completely 100% totally unrelated issues of assisted medical suicide and ableism in general and, and mm-hmm. disability depression. All of those things, while some of them are connected over here, none of them are connected to the right. Tuskegee Institute shit that this lady is doing. Right. Yeah. Which was also relatively recent, as was Joseph Mengele. Like, that, they needed to do that level of character to, yeah. to talk about this kind of medical ethics is just so over the top weird to me. I don't disagree at all with what either of you said. I'm totally on board. Like, in fact, I didn't even think this was at first going to be about medical ethics. I thought she was supposed to be like a racist and that's why, but she never went down that road. So it was like, like you said, they're not picking side. But I think this ties into what I brought up in the last episode was if this was written now and maybe because of things like this, we would have said like, we can't do this in 48 minutes. This topic needs an arc of maybe four or five episodes, maybe a season. Like we cannot tackle these kinds of things in one episode. And and so that's one of the reasons I think these shows moved away from single episodes for things like for this reason, because like you said, you, you it's too big. And they went, they tried to do too many things any one of which cannot be handled in a single episode, and they try to do more than one. Right. Um, and and just on top of that, I think the doctor was give the actor playing Doctor Russell was given terrible character write up and lines, but what she did was extraordinary because Great. there's never one time when she twirls the mustache. Yeah. She never like leans into being a Mangala. She she plays it so perfect. Where almost she's like, she's surprised that you don't see the value of what she's doing. And I thought I thought she was lovely in this. That made her more villainous, I think, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I think it's handled really well. And honestly, the B plot I think is handled better than the A plot uh, because the A plot they didn't choose things that are that that are in the real discussion of assisted suicide. Assisted suicide is not for paraplegia. It's not for that kind right. of thing. That's not who is yeah. advocating for it. Right. That, that is not none of that. It's for long-term painful illness. Which it seems like or, they weren't even really trying to talk about that, right? Because no, they of, didn't, they because didn't of the situation they put it in. It's like, well, you're not talking about that at all. You're, Except in this next scene, yeah. right? Picard tries to use that yes. as a hypothetical. Oh, yes. I thought you meant the, the sick bay scene with... No, no, no. That, that's a different one, but right. but also there, Jimmy. The triage. The, and let's talk about the the Picard one, which we're which we're kind of over here. In addition to what you're talking about, Greg, he also, you know, the, it's the it's the one time in the episode where somebody goes, but he's not dying. They're like, you know, it's it's good for someone who is dying slowly and this and this and this and this. Worf is not dying. Worf's going to live as long as he would have lived from everything that we know. And, uh, you know, she's like, paraplegics live full fucking lives, she says, 
trying to see why everyone's being so crazy about this stuff. Picard t calls Crusher over to the suddenly uh, from the suddenly tense med bay, and uh, we have a transport ship with injuries. Five hundred and fifty people or so have crashed, and gosh, this is going to complicate the priorities of the medical team. <laughs> Picard takes the stance immediately that Worf is already dead. He's already dead. Let's just take care of it. As far as he's concerned, Worf is gone. What's the problem here, Riker? If if you were dying and in pain and only had a few days left, and Riker's like, what? Yeah, Picard is the one thing that I hate about this episode. I think his yes. choices here are more evil than any other character. He he's like he's like, oh, he's, we the man we knew is gone. He can never be a, a true Klingon, and I know that because I know Klingons. And it, 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 he's talking down to everyone around him, like he thinks that that Riker is less of a person because of his opinions here. Uh, and it's odd because we don't see Picard ever talking to Worf either, right? So he's doing this all secondhand based on, you know, being uh, at the Klingon planet in one of those episodes, right? Like, so it's just, it's it's... It feels as much of a betrayal of what Picard's character is as when he goes uh, against his thoughts about the Prime Directive like we've already argued about. Like, it just seems like it was inserted here by the writers being like, we need someone to argue for him. And Picard, <laughs> you know, why not? He doesn't have any other lines in this episode, so let's give him this. It's bullshit. Super agree, Greg. Well, what are you saying, Kate? Uh, well, I was going to say he's in this episode because he had to get paid. But... <laughs> I take a slightly different, and, and maybe it's because I took them, this episode at its word, and that's my problem. When it, <laughs> when it talks about Klingons and their, and their relationship with their bodies and their health. Because while you say we've seen old Klingons, that is true, but all the old Klingons I've seen are still very strong. And, uh, you know, like there are some older ones who are, you know, certainly could kick you with a cane, I'm sure. But in terms of like, I hear everything you're saying and I feel like Picard is the only one that's listening to Worf, which you can argue that Worf shouldn't be listened to right now. And that's what I would that's argue. Also, yes. That's also problematic in and of itself that you don't want to listen to the patient, right? Like both of those things are problematic sure. at the same time, right? I Like I think, I think, I think it's interesting. I think I agree with you, Greg, in that this is not the Picard that we... I don't think that he would make this argument. And it's interesting to have one person on the side. Uh, and, and perhaps it should have been someone else. Like, I think it would have been interesting to, for it to have been Troy, right? Because she can feel what... Uh, at least part of what mm. he feels. Easier right? to justify Easier that. to That's justify great, it, right? Much, That's a great idea, Kate. Or... A visiting Klingon is also on board, mm. and that's the guy. And so it's it puts Worf into this fucked up position where he's not surrounded by Federation people. He has yeah. this one, you know. Mm. Like I feel like that would have been a much also more interesting. Well, episode. now we fixed it. Fixed it. It's done. You know, there is precedent on Earth for people treating their their infirm elders and sick people and and uh, you know other people this way. And over the centuries, that becomes tradition like uh, eating things that are safe rather than things that can kill you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it becomes tradition. Uh, um, Harry Carey, like the, you know, Japanese right, tradition. Right, exactly. Of, but, you might not but even, even be injured, in just But even in Japan, most people aren't looking at Harry Carey as, as the cultural thing to save anymore. Like, uh, and, and right. as, as technology and other right. things make modern, the idea that you can still contribute to a society uh, when you don't have legs. 
Um, again, that's the one they chose, not any of the other issues that right. they talk about. They yeah. chose, I don't have legs. I, I don't need to really follow them uh, with that because that's been argued hundreds of years ago and found to be ridiculous. I, I, I was just thinking about how uh, throughout the first part of this episode, as well as this Picard scene, it kept being like, doesn't, doesn't Worf have a son? Isn't he on board right now? <laughs> yeah. And then they, and sh- they right cut to him. And I'm like, oh, why wasn't he here from the beginning? <laughs> they should have set him up in the, in the opening instead of the poker hand shit. Uh, yes. <laughs> Pretty much they go right from Picard saying, you're his friend, kill him. Yeah. To Alexander saying, why won't you let me see him? And Troy says, well, he doesn't want to see you. He'd rather die. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Basically. Uh, Okay, I'm not being kind. I'm not being kind. But yeah, basically. She uh, she says, you know, this. he says, this is that Klingon stuff. Mom said their honor's dumb. I just want to see dad. And and it really is weird that the four-year-old seems to be the one most in in, uh, command of 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 his own emotions with regard to uh the the friend or family passing away here god i miss kalar she would have been great to have in this yes, episode yes absolutely in every episode but especially this one yeah i'm confused as to if if it was going to be this this simple why they didn't go full quadriplegic with him right right that's usually what people do with the straw man argument that these guys are pulling up is is something that's even more difficult to live with. Or put him in pain. Um, like spinal injuries can hurt, right? Like it can yes, be really bad. Yes. Like actually make it that issue. And it's it, it, there's almost no um, difference yeah. in his demeanor or anything. He just kind of, he can prop it's himself up, all that stuff. It's, it, it, yeah. And it seems to me like it was the writer who had an idea of what they wanted and they didn't want you to disagree with them in any way. So they made it impossible <laughs> for you to sympathize with that side of the argument. Because mm, if right. there was a real danger, like he has a 1% chance of living, um, or right. like, then you were like, okay, well, this is legitimate. So they just made it so that you couldn't argue with him, which is like a scaredy cat way of writing. Yeah, totally. Um, right. So it, it's like, this whole episode to me didn't bother me, Eric, like it did you, because it seemed like a little kid making a big argument. And it was like, <laughs> I'm glad that you're thinking yeah, big ideas, yeah. but you're not there yet. Like you need, you yeah. need more time to think this through. It was like, so I didn't get angry in that way. It was like, they're there. It, it, you, good job. <laughs> but you know, you, you're going to, you might change your mind or find a different way to think about that when you right. grow up. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a popular, uh, kind of stance right now that talks about how disability is a temporal thing. It's, it's connected to time because over time we will all be there uh, if we don't die suddenly. Um, And so it is interesting to discuss this kind of issue because it is an issue that we will all discuss. And as, as somebody who spent a lot of time in hospitals (laughs) and, and uh, dealing with many injuries, like it's something I think about a lot. Um, I don't, dig the way they discuss it in this and maybe it's because two different people came up with the story and then a third person wrote the script like you're going to have some issues when when that's that's the way it's uh, dealt with sometimes as well so anyway crusher's mad come in we've discussed a variety of procedures uh they they want to put those discs on his legs it'll work it does work in fact we see it he says i hate it kill me <laughs> <laughs> dr russell pitches her her mangala shit here hard you know we can do this we can make it work i know it's never worked before but you know he's miserable <laughs> he wants to die he wants to die let's just do it maybe it'll work you're only saying it won't work because it never has <laughs> <laughs> exactly Give it a chance. exactly 
Crusher gets pissed. Russell says it's a better option than suicide. Uh, she says you're using the, his desperation to try a procedure you couldn't do any other way because Starfleet, I know, turned you down. And then she says the best right wing word ever, bureaucracy. Mm. She's like, you're going to let some bureaucracy stop you. That's a person that needs to be hit. Bureaucracy is part of that redundancy that you're sitting there talking about how great it'll be in a few minutes. That's what our bureaucracy is for, is so that the third uh, level can catch what the first level missed. Oh no, the injured have arrived. Could you use an extra pair of hands? And we get that moment where the two doctors look at each other and we're like, all right, we're going to put set aside the rest of this shit. Let's go save some people the way only we know how. And we're like, all right, it's going in the right direction. And then Alexander comes in to talk to Worf, who is standing and walking. No, Already, just standing and then he's, falling. <laughs> he, he's been alone for 35 seconds with these things that he hates. And he's already standing. Jesus, this argument falls apart yeah. moment by moment. It's just stupid. <laughs> uh, two minutes later, he falls down. Kill me, please. <laughs> I just feel like this format I've written down again is utterly incapable of giving this ethics, ethics debate a full airing. Then we move to the dying colonists. Dr. Russell is doing a few more new therapies. Go ahead, Kate. There is a woman sitting there on one of the tables who has the best Tawny Katane hair like on the planet she's wearing like like lycra and like looks yes. wind blown like whatever happened down on the planet was good for her like there she goes again on her own fuck Rogers looking good ah <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love it. So we walk away from Fuck Rogers <laughs> and see what's happening. <laughs> we have found a dead uh, colonist by Dr. Russell. She makes no excuses for her approach to medicine. This man didn't die for nothing. She's talking like a billionaire looking at Mars. Oh. Fuck Oof. these people. <laughs> this guy was probably going to die anyway, so I, I injected him with arsenic to see if that helped. Uh, Guess what? It, hurt. it doesn't. Now we know. <laughs> yes. Now we know. <laughs> the Crusher relieves her of duty as the only reasonable person in this episode. Picard shows up as his villain again in a second. I see you've relieved Dr. Russell for killing a few colonists. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, like he's really trying to, how do I tell my girlfriend that she shouldn't kill her patient? May I remind you, Beverly, that only a few weeks ago, we killed thousands of people on a ship. This is nothing. Oh, God. It was only dozens. He's like, maybe you should let her Tuskegee this guy who we say is a friend of ours. And she freaks out like she should. Picard's like, but he's going to kill himself. Picard's like cheerful through this. He's like, I know it. He's not kidding. The moment we turn our backs, this guy's gone. Let's just like give him the shit. And Bev's like, not in my fucking sick bay. I'll tie him down and put guards on him. Like they do when you're on suicide watch. This is all normal shit for a newly injured person who is having suicidal ideation. All right. Um, I can fix him, she says, but not all of it. I can't fix everything. The, the thing that as we all get older, we hear our doctor say. He can't make the journey you want, Picard says. It's too far. From killing himself <laughs> to living. It's too far. Exactly. <laughs> I don't have any faith in my friend Worf. He cannot come out of this. We should kill him. <laughs> Riker arrives with the knife and the blanket for the for the ritual because you need a knife and a blanket and then your turnkey. 
<laughs> he says, I think this ritual is despicable. He's not going to wipe the blood on his uniform. I mean, no, come he on. needs a blanket. <laughs> you got to have the <laughs> ritual blanket, dude. And he says, by the way, I'm not going to help you with this. It's not my place. And we're like, oh, yes, it is. He says, no, it's not. It usually goes to the eldest son. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which just happens to be on board. Right. Yes, he is. <laughs> Here I am, um, father. <laughs> I'll fucking kill you. And basically, yeah, he comes in all bouncy. <laughs> like, Shander comes in, like, with his ponytail just flapping back and forth. Um, and Skipping. He says, I'll do anything for you, father. Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and finally, finally, Worf says, I have decided to live. And we can all have a nice, deep fucking breath. He's going to just do the crazy operation that'll probably kill him. Don't worry about the rest of it. Everything's fine. And Crusher's kind of like, fuck it, okay, let's do it. I just want to note that this episode, you're, you're convincing me of how, its poorness, uh, Eric, because as I thought about this, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm about sorry. why don't we have Worf actually talking about these issues and understanding it? We all thought... Everything that he has said up to this point is mean he's going to kill. He's going to, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then we get this like switch and we don't know why. Like, why did he switch? Did Riker persuade him? Did, you know, uh, name checking all of the others who have died in service like Tasha Yar was enough to be like, oh, yeah, I was sad when Tasha Yar died. They were all women. Did you? Did you catch he named only women? He's like, here are the four women I can name that passed away uh, this awful way. That's because he's like, oh, those are my hookups I will never have again. He's like, I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wish Worf actually had a voice a little bit more in this decision making. Yes, I agree with you because it uh, it does seem sudden and yet it makes sense that, that young Brian would be, you know, um, Brian Bonsall, right? Is that his name? Brian Bonsall? That's his name. Yeah. Yes, yes, uh, it is. But but Alexander would be that that <laughs> pivot point. Um, but young Brian Bonsall is just a lovely actor because he yeah. turns around to smile at Worf, just this like sweet little smile, and it could have been cloying as fuck, and like, but it wasn't. It was just this very sweet and simple exchange between the two of them that was just. We rarely get moments of silence in 48 minutes of, of television. So just having that nice little silent moment was nice. <laughs> I bet if I went back to Family Ties, I can find at least two episodes where that's how the episode ends of Brian Bonsall <laughs> leaving the room and turning over his shoulder and giving Probably. a nice little smile. Impish smile. Yeah, no, I, I noted that too, Kate, because it is so much communicated in that, right? Like, yeah. oh, I miss my father. I love him. I'm so glad he's still going to be alive. You made the right call, dad. You know, all wrapped up in one little cheeky, like, cute smile. All right. So they pull Alexander out of the room. Worf says, we will speak again soon. And uh, Troy eventually hears, if I die, he must be cared for. And she says, oh, I'll send him to your parents. And she's like, no, I'd rather it be you. And, and like, this little scene is so fascinating and such a nice little piece of their redacted relationship. <laughs> it's just a delight from, from the beginning to the end where she agrees to, to look after Alexander. She grabs his hand and says she would be honored. Uh, did, did this scene speak to any of you in kind of similar ways? I cried a little. Yeah. I did. I cried. A and, it, and it started with, the, with him saying goodbye to Alexander, right? Like, in that moment of yes. uh, where it was just so fraught uh and then to go to that moment of again now that i have said it the more i wish that 
Troy had been the advocating voice in this episode so that we could see her be torn between someone that she obviously has great affection for, right? And what he's asking her to do. Interesting. But I, yeah, yeah but I cried. I got a little teary yeah. too, I will say. The, the restraint that Troy has in this episode, right? Because she's also surprised by this request. She did not, I think, enter this room thinking she would be asked to adopt uh, a child. Uh, and maybe <laughs> yes. thought yes. never that she would have a child, right? I think even in previous episodes with her mother, she's not really into the idea of being a parent at all. So yeah, I, I liked her her feeling that, and that that's what drew me in uh, and made me feel the emotion of this moment. All right, so then uh, we take Worf to the Bene Gesserit and uh, they uh, <laughs> cut his uh, spinal cord out. Reichard and Picard are doing spreadsheets together, like you would expect to happen at times like this. With close-ups kind of on their faces. Like, you get to see the pores yeah. of Jonathan Frakes' nose. Really <laughs> well documented. Thank God. It's nice, you know, I understand there's something with the warp call, <laughs> etc. They say to each other, long pause, any word. And then they cut to, to seeing the new spine in a big Petri dish. The scanner will never work. So we have to bring out the little handheld scanner, which is going to be better. Uh, so uh, we use that one. It's just going to take a little longer. Alex and Troy are playing Nintendo, which is nice. Uh, that's a good way to keep the kid uh, busy. Then we put the big rubber worm into Warp, which is very important. <laughs> the worst prop. Yes. <laughs> they just got to shove it in with a spatula. <laughs> They're like, look out for the stuff. It's like, I'm looking. It's like draped weirdly. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, rubber cement. So, I think this is how it works. Mind you, I haven't done it before. <laughs> no, I'm not keep sure. Keep it somewhere around 15 centimeters away from the thing and don't touch the other thing. I'm about 30% right and I'm on this one, I promise. 30% of the time, it works every time. Uh, every time. All right. Alex is asleep in Troy's lap. Troy has a worried face. We're finally going to terminate life support and see how it worked. Neural connections are stable. Oh, no. Neural connections aren't stable anymore. We have a cardiac arrest. Then we have shots, 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 shots. Everybody? And now Crusher gets to do <laughs> everybody. And now Crusher gets to do her experimental treatments, but I bet hers work. She wrote a paper about them, so she's already done the research. Mm. Quick, stimulate his forehead again and again and again and again and again. Uh, then he's dead. Then we call it. Then we mourn together and individually. We turn it all off. Crusher comes in to say he's dead. Alex wants to see him. We go back. This is all, this is 20 minutes. Yeah, gotta be. 45 minutes long. Each, um, each of these. I have certainly made my peace with the death of Worf by now. If this is my first time watching it. <laughs> but it turns out that the tears of a young boy is all the redundancies need. And the unnecessary redundancies did their job. Klingon, heal thyself. Russell comes to Crusher to be crushed. Yeah. And, uh... The doctor just ignores her, which is lovely. Uh, and then she eventually says, you can't even admit that it was my research that made this possible. And uh, Beverly's not going to put up with that shit. Mm -mm. So she talks about having gambled and won this time, but not all your patients are so lucky. You scare me, she said. Research takes time. And she kicked her in the ass and pushed her out into space. <laughs> Enjoy your laurels, she says. I'm not sure I could. 
Yes. So good. Thank you, Beverly. You are the hero of the episode. Yeah. Except for I feel like they wrote that scene before they wrote anything else. They wrote, wrote <laughs> backwards. Is like, I want to have a good comeuppance <laughs> monologue. And because it was so weak all the way up to that point, it didn't land for me. It was like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. But everything about this was wrong. So, again, you're talking to a little kid. Good on you. You could, you could diss <laughs> on a, a little kid. Whatever. <laughs> Don't diss on Brian Bonsall. You can't sneak weak comeuppance past Jimmy. You can't do it. Jimmy's got a nose for comeuppance. I do. Like a fart in a car. <laughs> <laughs> Unethical. Or a, uh, or a fart in a, uh, <laughs> a transfer room. Full All right. Uh, Worf is learning to walk again. I, I might point out not as steadily as he was with just the one ring on his leg. But maybe therapy and uh, physical therapy are more helpful than the experimental Nazi stuff. Um, <laughs> Alexander will help him as they work together. He says, yes, sir. And looks over his shoulder, just like we said, Kate, uh, we get uh, the ending we've always wanted. And, uh, that's the end of ethics. My favorite episode of star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's wrap it up. Shall we? Uh, Jimmy G, why don't you start us off? Why don't you tell me what you thought of this episode? Complete with number score, please. I will give it five Dr. Mangalas. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's not as bad as Code of Honor. That's the low bar for no. me. So it's a little bit better than that because it's not racially offensive. It's uh, intellectually offensive that they took an important idea. It was just very lazy in the way they presented the arguments. They could have just came out and said, this is wrong, end of episode, because they didn't really care to make any kind of real argument. And, when, and by not doing so, they put characters that we loved in situations we don't love to see them in, not because it was interesting or it was nice to see them have a conflict. It was like, you wouldn't say that. Um, and you just have to give it to one of the five people that we know because of budgets, not because it makes sense for this person to say what you are having them to say. So don't watch this episode if you're listening to this and you're you know, wondering where to go on this journey of Star Trek The Next Generation because it does a disservice to the, uh, the, the franchise at large and to the characters that we love. I love it. All right, five Mengalas. Where do we go from there? Greg Tito, what do you think? I am going to give it five wet noodles inserted into spines. <laughs> it Oof. is a very middling episode for me for all of the philosophical and ethical reasons we've been talking about. I think what's interesting to me is that after I watched it last night, uh, I didn't have the same reaction that you did, but talking it through, I I am seeing all the holes in the arguments. And I think the reason why it worked for me on the first viewing was that the individual scenes on their own kind of work for me. Like if you take the conversations that Beverly has with the doctor, I, I, I can take that as read. And I, the ones that Riker has, I think we, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but the second conversation he has with, with, with uh, Worf and why he won't do the thing is I think a really powerful scene. And I think Riker does a lot of good work and it breaks his work in there. You know, the individual things work, but when you put them together as a whole, as we have done in this discussion, it does not hold up. It doesn't make sense. And I think the actual conversation was better served in the, uh, 
David Ogden Steers episode uh, mm. about uh, needing to pass mm-hmm. on after 60 years of death. That felt like it dealt with similar issues in a more interesting and compelling way. Uh, mm. And I and and this one could have done so and it didn't. And it was a failure in in the writing to make that happen. The actors did the best they could with what they had available. Fuck Picard in this episode. Uh, I, I actually have started to like his character a lot less over the last, you know, few instances of him. He's due for like a good episode where he actually is a uh, a fine leader uh, coming up. Um, uh, I hope that comes up soon. Um, and I look forward to Troy and Worf smashing uh, because this certainly did lay the seeds for me as to how they could be a family unit with uh, Alexander being being the glue that brings their loins together. <laughs> I love it. We got another five. Bring us home, Kate. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to give this uh, four laurels that you're (laughs) embarrassed to wear. Love it. I said a lot of this at the beginning with my frustration with this episode is that it's a fascinating issue to me. Um, I took an ethics class in college, so A... I know everything. And B, uh, <laughs> we actually spent a lot of time talking about assisted suicide and the and the the two sides of that. And I found I find the whole discussion around that really fascinating and complicated and touchy and cultural and uh, personal and should not have been attempted in this format. Like, it just doesn't do any justice to either side, really. Um, Even if you're coming at it from the sort of, like, there's never a a reason or there's always a way to to find hope, you know, like, you've got Picard just shitting all over that idea as the captain, right? (laughs) Uh, If you come from the side of, like, well, it's a more complicated issue, we have to look at, you know, um, longevity and, and... you know, uh, quality of life and all of that, their side isn't going to be listened to. Like, it's just, it's messy in a way that is potentially harmful, right? Like, it just takes something that is really sensitive and absolutely does a terrible job at putting it all together. (laughs) It didn't leave me as, like, physically angry as you, Eric, but it left me more um, disappointed. Like, I'm more disappointed in the episode because I feel like we're we're capable of so much more, and we have been capable of so much more um, in, in other episodes, and... Um, in other versions of this series, right? Like we certainly in the future, they are able to, um, you know, the current seasons of, of Star Trek, I think would be interesting for them to approach something like this in one of their formats where, as Jimmy said, you would need four or five, six episodes to deal with this arc, right? With people that we trust and love implicitly to guide us through that arc and it would still be uncomfortable and it would still be complicated so i said four and a half i'm giving it four i'm i'm taking half of the laurel (laughs) strong we have two fives and a four i'm gonna bring it kate brought it home so i'll uh take it to the cabin in the woods i don't know (laughs) with a three i'm gonna give it three ethics uh, three full ethics. <laughs> I think the way they, you've all said it very well. I think the way they set up this, 
this entire episode destined it for failure. There's just no way to take the setup that they have concocted and come out the end of it 38 minutes later with 22 minutes of uh, uh, commercials and have people happy on the other end. It's just not possible. And they didn't try all that hard. So uh, three ethics from me. Um, I just hated it. <laughs> like Kate says, there was a physical reaction. I wanted to punch a wall, then uh, kick something else. Not not one of my favorite episodes of my favorite of one of my favorite TV shows. So uh, we'll leave it in the past, along with my wet pants. Oh. Uh, I didn't even tell you guys about that. All right. So <clears throat> my pants got wet just a few minutes ago. <laughs> Oh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage.